together. Isaiah chapter 11, if you would, if you found that, if you could stand for the reading of God's Word, we'll be looking again at the first six verses of Isaiah chapter number 11. And we'll be reviewing what we covered last week very quickly and then finishing out uh, the chapter number 11 and 12 with this particular Bible study. Look there, it says in verse 1 of Isaiah 11, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips, and he shall, and he, and rather shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion, and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, we find Jesus um, giving us the famous Sermon on the Mount. And in that message, he instructs his disciples on how to pray. And one of the things he tells them they are to pray is this right here in verse 10, Matthew 6. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. You know, right now, the earth we live in is very broken and in a lot of ways. Not only is it is is nature broken, and you have the wolf that eats uh, the lamb and the lion that eats uh, the child uh, where he can and, and, and acts as prey. And nature, it's broken. But on top of that, um, we have a, a political system that's broken because the prince and power of the air is Satan. And, and, and all of the political leaders, many of the political leaders, most of the political leaders are in rebellion to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. One day Jesus is going to come and he's going to make it all right. One day he's going to come and he's going to be in charge and he'll put all of this to rest. And that's going to be a great day. I don't know about you, but I want peace on earth. And the only way we're going to get to peace is when his kingdom comes. So the title of the Bible study out of Matthew 6.10 as it relates to Isaiah 11 is Thy Kingdom Come. So let's look at that thought tonight out of Isaiah 11 and 12. Let's pray. Lord, help us tonight to have ears that understand and spiritually discern. And, Lord, hearts that are tender. May we not be half-hearted in our approach. Sunday morning, we talked about the heart and how it's deceitful and desperately wicked above all things. And no one can truly understand the heart. Lord, help us to give our hearts over to you. And, Lord, renew our mind, renew our spirit. Lord, renew our hearts. And, Lord, as we have an ear that discerns and, and an ear that understands, may we have a heart that's tender toward change. And Lord, uh, help us to leave here tonight excited about your word and excited about the future that we have being in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in, in review, we said last week that the rulers of this world hate our God. Uh, if Jesus were ever to be put on a ballot uh, to be uh, voted upon, to be the ruler of the world, he would lose decisively. Why? Because people hate God. People hate 
His authority. People want to rebel from God, and that's clear. All you've got to do is take just a few minutes and consider our culture and a political, uh, a political atmosphere at large. But one day, whether they vote him in or not, one day Jesus Christ will rule and reign on this planet Earth right here for a thousand years. He'll be headquartered out of Jerusalem, Mount Zion. His reign will be righteous. His rulers will be the tribulation saints first. It will be all of us church-age saints Second, all of us that have overcome by believing in Jesus will help him rule this earth, will be part of his political structure. Today we have wars, we have rumors of wars, but when Jesus is in charge, there will be no more war. Now, Isaiah chapter 7, again, this is a review from last week, Isaiah 7 through Isaiah 12 is one prophecy written by Isaiah during the reign of King Ahaz. Isaiah would serve uh, as prophet of Judah during four different kings, and uh, the second one he served under was Ahaz, and Ahaz did that which was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And so Ahaz, or rather Isaiah, wrote these prophecies to uh, condemn Israel in their sin. And at the very end of that prophecy, where Israel is condemned in their sin, Isaiah offers hope in the last two chapters and says, yes, the, the, the tree will be cut down. The Israeli tree will be cut down. And the stump will be burned. But one day, God's going to take that burnt stump and there's going to be a rod that will shoot up out of the stem of Jesse. And so that brings us to... Uh, quick review, point number one from last week, we saw the coming king, the coming king. Look back with me at verse number one. Verse number one, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Look down at verse number ten, it says, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, a root of Jesse. And uh, we, uh, we brought out, uh, we said letter A under that was his simple roots. We brought out of that that the Bible does not say in Isaiah chapter 11, 1 or verse 10, and there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of David, but rather out of the stem of Jesse. And that's an interesting choice. Uh, if you're going to choose someone out of the genealogy of Jesus, why choose Jesse? Why not choose David? We are talking about King Jesus, and we do know that he will rule and reign from David's throne. So why throw the name Jesse in here? Jesse was nothing other than the father of David. That's his claim to fame. But in Jesse's lifestyle, he was just a simple farmer. He was a shepherd. And there in it you find why Jesse is chosen, because Jesus comes from simple Roots. In fact, the first time he came, Isaiah 53 tells us he came as a tender plant and a root out of dry ground. But here we see that burnt stump and here of Israel because of their sin and God cutting them down and sending them into captivity. And up out of that burnt stump, there comes a tender plant and a root out of the dry ground. But Israel would reject this king and would reject Jesus by having him nailed to the cross, and that would be uprooted and destroyed. And so Israel would yet have to wait, but the good shepherd uh, would not be done. In fact, 2,000 years later or more, we don't know the exact return of Christ, but uh, soon, one day, Jesus is going to come back as a root 
uh, a rod out of the stem of Jesse as a branch. He'll come growing up out of that burnt stump and he will be the ruler. He will reign over Israel and the world yet again. Letter B, we took a few minutes and looked at verses 2 through 5 and we saw his spirit and righteousness. We went to Revelation 1, 4. 4, 5, and Revelation 5, 6, and we saw how that there are seven spirits that dwell in the presence of God's throne. There are seven spirits that are represented by seven lamps burning in the presence of God. And Revelation 5, 6 tells us that there are, uh, that the Lamb of God has these seven spirits. We know the Lamb of God to be Jesus Christ. And so what are the seven spirits here? And we see those seven spirits laid out in verses 2 through 5. In fact, if you carefully count verse in verse 2, you find seven spirits. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. And then uh, the other six that are listed there are natural tensions in philosophy and thought. And these seven spirits is what makes up the Spirit of of Jesus. And so we see his spirit. Jesus will rule with a spirit of the Holy Spirit. He will rule with the spirit of both wisdom and understanding. Not only head knowledge, but discernment. He'll rule with not only counsel and diplomacy, but he'll also rule with might. He'll not only rule with the spirit of knowledge, but he'll rule one day by the fear of the Lord. He'll have all seven of these spirits that will make up his leadership, his political leadership style, and that will help him to be able to rule in righteousness. In fact, look with me quickly, uh, if you would, at verse number three. The Bible says, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Um, uh, What does this tell us here? This tells us, rather look back at verse three, and shall make uh, him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Here's how the judicial system works today. A judge has a set of morals and ethics, and a jury will have a set of morals and ethics, and obviously we have our law that helps shape that, but you'll have a criminal or a, uh, an alleged criminal come into court, and the judge will sit there, and with his eyes and his ears, he will listen to what the prosecution has to say and what the defense has to say. And then with his eyes and his ears, he will make a determination on right and wrong. Verse 3 tells us that Jesus will not rule in this fashion. He will not use his eyes and his ears to discern uh, his judgments. He will not judge with his eyes and his ears. He will simply judge by righteousness. How can he do that? Because Jesus is God and he knows everything. One day in Jesus' judicial system, when he's king of the earth, uh, someone will be brought before a judge and a God will give the ruling. Jesus will give the ruling and it will be a perfect ruling Every time. You see, you can pull the wool over my eyes, and you can pull the wool over a judge's eyes, you can pull the wool over another man's eyes, but you cannot fool Jesus Christ because He ponders our very thoughts. He tries the reins of our hearts. He knows what we think. He knows everything we say. He has the amount of steps we take every day numbered. He knows the hairs on our head. There's nothing you can get away with with God. And when Jesus is a political ruler one day, 
He will reign with righteousness. So we looked at letter A. We looked at letter B. How about letter C under point one? His solemn restoration. Now I get a little bit excited about this thought here. Look back with me at verse 6. Let's read down through verse number 9. The Bible says, The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopards shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. I saw an artistic rendering one time of a child leading these animals through a field. It was a beautiful picture. The cow and the bear, verse 7, shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. I love the way Isaiah paints this picture. I love verse 8, and the suckling. This is a newborn. Uh, the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asper of the snake, and the, the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice Den. I believe the cockatrice to be a scorpion. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountains for the earth. And, uh, uh, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We turned over to Romans 8 last week and we saw how that even nature crieth out to be restored and healed. One day, one day there will be a solemn, earnest restoration of planet earth. Oh, what a day that will be. This is what it's going to look like the thousand years that Jesus reigns. Then we moved on and we looked at number two. We saw the comforting king. The comforting king. Look with me at verse number 10 in, um, in your um, Bibles there. We, it says there, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an instant of the people. It shall, uh, it, it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. Letter A, we saw rest for Gentile believers. And we looked over at Psalm 22:27 and Daniel 7:14 and Hosea 2:23 and what did we see in these passages? We saw that there's going to be a day when Gentile believers stand in the very presence of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem and they look at God. In fact, turn over to Hosea Chapter number 2. This is where we finished last week. Turn back over with me to Hosea. That's to the right of the book of Isaiah. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. So get to Daniel and go one more book over. Hosea chapter 2 and look at verse number 23. I love, 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 love this verse. I'm going to go ahead and begin reading it. You can catch up with me when you get there. It says, And I will sow her unto me in the earth, and I will have mercy upon her that had not obtained mercy. This is speaking of the Gentiles. At one time they were not God's chosen people, but now they have obtained mercy. And look here. And I will say to them which were not my people. Look here. He's going to look down at this time and he's going to say, Thou art my people. And they shall say, Thou art my God. Uh, That's rest. Amen? When you dwell with the Lord in perfect peace, there is never a more serene moment in life. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough that when you are right with God and you know you're wholly right with God, the world's storms can be raging all around you, but there's just a serenity in your soul and you know everything's okay? How many know what I'm talking about? You can go to the Lord in prayer. And you can pray and you can walk away from your prayer closet. The problems are the same as they were before you prayed. But now because you've spent time with God, all of a sudden, there's a calm and a peace in your heart that by faith, God's going to take care of it. Now imagine that amplified because Jesus is not someone you're praying to that's invisible. 
Jesus is, is physically sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, and you're in Jerusalem, and you're looking up at him, and you're saying as a Gentile, thou art, uh, he says rather, thou art my people, and we look back collectively together and say, and thou art my God. Boy, yeah, for millennia, the Gentiles were mostly pagans and mostly rebellious against the God of heaven. And one day uh, we will understand the full rest that comes from being a Gentile believer. Letter B, notice, restoration for the Jewish nation. Restoration for the Jewish nation. Well, uh, go back with me to Isaiah chapter number 11. We know uh, that um, the Isaiah 7, 8, 9, and 10 there was some heavy judgments promised against Israel. And as we go through Isaiah, we'll see more of those heavy judgments promised against Israel. And many of those would be realized. In fact, just a short time after Isaiah gave his prophecies, the ten northern tribes would be carried away into captivity and spread amongst the nations. And even to this day, there are Jews living all over the world and spread amongst the nations. And the ten northern tribes would never reassemble back into a people. They would remain spread amongst the nations even to current day. The two southern tribes would, uh, that made up Judah, Judah would be carried away uh, years later by the Babylonians and only a remnant would return. Only a remnant would make their way back and even that restored nation of Israel would live under some sort of rule, whether it was uh, the Medes and Persians or uh, the Romans or the Greeks. They would live under some uh, 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 rule. They would be uh, subservient to some other nation. And until uh, just a few decades ago when Israel established its own sovereign government, that was the first time since the Old Testament when they were carried away into captivity that they would have that. But even there, they're a fledgling nation and they have to fight to stay alive and fight to stay active. One day, God is going to restore the Jewish nation not only back to its former glory, but even greater than its former glory. Look with me at verse number 11 of Isaiah chapter number 11. We see it says there, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set His hand again the second time to recover the remnant of His people. Look here. Which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the seas, and he shall set up an ensign or a banner for the nations, and shall assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Uh, uh, Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. The nation of Israel will be restored and renewed and be made whole. When Jesus sets up rule and reign one day in Jerusalem, he's going to put up a banner and he's going to gather the Jews from all four corners of planet Earth and bring them home and reestablish Israeli dominance with Jesus, King Jesus, not only being their ruler, but ruler over all of the world and for the Israel uh, Israelites when Jesus came the first time this is what they were looking for this is what they wanted 
This is why they would reject Jesus the first time they came, because they would read prophecies like Isaiah 11 and 12, and they were looking for that political ruler to come down and set up the incident, set up the banner, and bring home the Jewish folk and reestablish Israeli dominance. And when Jesus came, not to fight a political battle, but a spiritual battle, they rejected him. They rejected him. And Jesus one day is going to come back this second time, and he's going to offer political freedom. He's going to draw them in. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 27 uh, in verse number 12. Quickly there, Isaiah 27. Look with me at 12 and 13. Don't you hate when the pastor tells you to turn to a passage, and you get there, and you just can't get that one last page apart? You know what I mean? And, uh, you, you know, you lick your fingers and they still won't come apart, you know. And then you finally get it turned and then he's done reading the, the passage. Oh. Okay, look at uh, verse 12 and 13. And the Bible says, And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the river under the stream of Egypt. He's going to dam up that, that river. He's going to cut off the water. Um, uh, and ye shall be gathered one by one. O ye children of Israel, and it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown, and they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. Now, um, I'll just add this here. I, I, lived out, I lived in suburbia Baltimore for 16 years of my life, and I realized that within the area of Baltimore, there was a neighborhood that was strictly Jewish, strictly Jewish, and it was a very large community. In fact, when I would go into this neighborhood, I had a job for a while where I would clean apartments in between tenants, and the man I worked for had contracts in these apartments where these Jewish folk lived and uh, you know we'd have to go in and for their kosher laws we'd have to put in a new stove and a new refrigerator they weren't allowed to have one uh, that was owned by the previous people by their uh, dietary uh, orthodoxical restrictions and uh, I would be in there and I have the job of cleaning all the windows inside and out of every apartment that was one of my jobs I'd stand there at the window I'd be window washing and I'd look out and I'd see a woman in a uh, ankle length skirt walking down the road with her head covering and she'd be have a couple of children following behind her and uh, uh, the boys all had their head coverings and I thought to myself isn't it peculiar that here we are all these years removed and these Jewish people in, in, in cities all across America and the world are still gathered together and have not lost their identity even in the face of the persecution they seem to face, no matter the country, no matter the generation, uh, no matter the culture, there is this, uh, there is this uh, pride of being a Jew and a holding to those Jewish roots and holding to those Jewish customs. One day, when Jesus comes back, He's going to hold up the ensign and the banner, and all of the Jews in these communities from all over the world are going to pack up their things, and they're going to go home and the, Jew, the Jewish nation will be reassembled under the rule of Jesus Christ. Turn over to 43, 5 and 6. One more here. Turn over to chapter 43 and look with me at verse number 5. 
It says, Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, Give up, and to the south, Keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. One day the Jewish nation will be restored. Uh, They'll have uh, back what was promised to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 through 16. And uh, they will be ruled by uh, someone of the lineage of King David of Judah. They will be ruled by Jesus the Messiah himself. We see uh, number one. Uh, from our outline here, uh, i got to flip back over to the front page. We see the coming king. Number two, we see the comforting king. Number three, let's look at the conquering king. The conquering king. Look at, uh, with me back in Isaiah chapter 11 and look at verse 14. And let's read down through verse number 16. The Bible says, But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the west, and they shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea with his mighty winds. Shall he shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over Dryshod, and there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. Let me quickly here give you a letter A and a B. Notice letter A, the heathen destroyed, the heathen destroyed. Look back at verse 14 with me. It says, but they, the Israelites, shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines, Uh, toward the west, and they shall spoil them of the east together. They shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. What's this a reference to? This is a reference to one day Jesus, King Jesus, is going to come back, and the armies of the world are going to point their arsenal directly at him, and he, along with the other Israelites and the church aid saints, are going to destroy once and for all, uh, these wicked kings, he, God's going to, in this one move, tear down the political structure of this world as he establishes himself as king. Now, picture this with me in heaven, okay? You have uh, the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He's in heaven with his bride. That is the church, okay? The church-age saints, Jew and Gentile alike. He's there with us. We're there with him. We've already gone through the, the, the judgment seat of Christ. We've been purged of our sin. The bride has been made ready and pure and whole to be presented to King Jesus. And Jesus and his bride, the church, are going to come down from heaven on white stallions down to the valley of Megiddo where we'll watch Jesus win the battle. All the while, the last three and a half years of the tribulation, um, the Antichrist sets himself up in the, in the temple and he declares himself to be God. We call that the abomination of desolation. It is an abominable act that he declares himself God. He'll no longer need uh, uh, the one world religion. He'll do away with that. That will be 
be destroyed and that will be killed off. And when he sets himself up, the pact he made with the Israelites and the, the Arab world will fall apart because the Israelites will see this is not a good guy. They will flee from um, uh, Jerusalem. Uh, the desolation will be the Jews leaving. In fact, they will go to a place in the wilderness where they'll have natural protection from the wilderness. God will send down his protection. All the while, Satan has been in heaven the first three and a half years of the tribulation of being the accuser of the brethren during the judgment seat of Christ. Once that's complete, Satan will be cast out of heaven back to earth. He'll come down as the father head of the false trinity and he'll gather up with the Antichrist and they'll turn their ire on the Jewish nation and things will reach a tipping point. Things will reach a, a point of, uh, of, 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 of maximum uh, problems. And right about the time the Jews are about to be overcome, Jesus and the church come down out of heaven and this war takes place And uh, at the defeating and destroying of the enemies of, of this earth, the political uh, hierarchy of this earth being led by the Antichrist. That will bring liberation to the Jewish people. Can you see the rest of the Gentiles coming in? The, the rest, the, the comfort of the Gentiles coming in as the majority of the church age saints with Jesus. All the while, the Jewish nation being persecuted, they're given restoration and liberty at this one point where they are destroyed. Take your Bibles over to Psalm chapter number 2. We find a prophetic psalm in Psalm chapter 2, and uh, uh, the conference we were at a couple of weeks ago, they pulled this out, and I'm thankful to say that I had already put this in my notes before he ever preached that sermon. Amen? Um, but psalm chapter number 2 is a great psalm that's prophetic of this very era and time uh, that would take place uh, when Jesus returns. Look at verse number 1, and uh, think of that time where Jesus comes back uh, and uh, fights that battle, the battle of Armageddon, the battle in the valley of Megiddo, uh, where he sets up his millennial reign. Look at verse 1. It says, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So what, what's going on here? The, 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 the political leaders of the world hate the God of heaven. They hate Him. And imagine if all of the military arsenals of the world were pulled together. Imagine the firepower that that would be. Uh, if you just took the firepower within the U.S. military, all of the atomic bombs, the nuclear bombs that the U.S. military has alone, not counting that of China or Russia or many of the other countries that have nuclear power. Imagine if you just took uh, the U.S.'s military power and you took all of those bombs and strategically set them off around the world. You could probably wipe out all of humanity on planet Earth as it stands. Now, imagine all of the arsenals of the world being brought together and all of them being pointed at God in an attempt to say, we're going to destroy him and throw off this rule once and for all. Now, what spirit does that come from? What does that sound like? That sort of sounds like Lucifer, does it not? I will ascend above the Most High. I will be like the Most High God. I will, I will set my throne above His throne. And here we have... 
the world saying, we're going to get rid of God once and for all. I love the Lord's response. Look down with me, Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verse number 4. He says, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. (laughs) The Lord shall have them in derision. Now, any of you dads that have a, a boy... You can relate a little bit with what I'm going to say here. My son is 12 years old. Every now and then I'll walk into his room. And, you know, I'm glad he's not in here tonight because this would probably embarrass him real good. But I walk in his room and he's got his sleeve pulled up and he's making a muscle, you know. And then he pulls a, um, he pulls this move. He takes his finger and he pushes up right here, you know, trying to maximize the height of that muscle. And, uh, you know, um, I, I walk into his room sometimes, and he's doing push-ups. And uh, he's, he's really trying to, you know, build up that strength. We're walking through the store the other day, and he walks up to me, and he just gives me like a, a one, two, three, four in the arm, as if to say, Dad, I'm coming for you, you know? And uh, I don't feel the need to, you know, hit him or anything, because, one, his mom's right there, and I don't want to be in trouble with her. Um but two, it just doesn't hurt. And three, I just kind of find it funny. And uh, the world is going to point their entire arsenal that they've taken all 6,000 plus years of humanity to create. They're going to point it at God. And God's going to look down at them. And he's just going to laugh at them. Right? Hey, hey guys, that's, that's cute. Yeah, that's real nice. Okay. <laughs> Look back at verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. I know there are times where I'll pick on Matthew. And by the way, dads, you ought to pick on your boys. Pick on them to the place where they get a little bit irritated. Our boys, this generation, are soft because dads don't give their boys a hard time. And my wife thinks I probably go a little overboard with this, and I probably do. Uh, but my son and my daughter can take a good ribbing because I give it to them. And uh, so their tolerance level has been built. And they can handle someone else picking on them because dad's picked on them a little bit. But you know what? When I pick on them a little too much, I know it because I get them in derision. They start to get aggravated. They start to get upset. You know, the world's going to point their arsenal at God and God's going to laugh at them. And that's just going to irritate them that much more. Verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king, God says, upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. Uh, the Lord, uh, uh, one more verse here. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. One day Jesus is going to come back. Uh, and he's going to destroy the enemies of the earth all in one fell swoop. If you want an interesting Bible study, do a Bible study on the Valley of Jehoshaphat. The Valley of Jehoshaphat. And uh, that's the spot where after this war has been fought, God's going to gather together the kings of the earth, and he's going to judge them prior to... This will be his first act as king. He's going to judge them and decide which one's making into the millennial reign and which ones are cast into hell. By the way, you can parallel or you can uh, complement your study of the Valley of Jehoshaphat 
by looking at the end of Matthew chapter 25, understand that the, the, the passage there at the end of Matthew 25 is King Jesus judging those rulers there in the valley of Jehoshaphat. But that's for you Bible students that enjoy going a little bit deeper. The, 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 the end result here is that while it may be discouraging one, one, right now to look at all of the power that's being wielded by political rulers and uh, Christians that are persecuted and Christians that are uh, hurt and even killed and imprisoned, uh, Christians that are limited even in this country by some of the laws and uh, Christians that are being trampled on by culture. One day, one day the heathen will be rounded up and they'll be destroyed and King Jesus will be in charge and the culture uh, will be that it will be popular to love Jesus. It'll be popular to be righteous. That's going to be a great day. Amen. The heathen will be destroyed. Let her be noticed, a highway established. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 11 here. Isaiah chapter 11. Look at verse 15 and 16. And by the way, a high, the idea of a highway is one of the themes that you find that run through the book of Isaiah. Look here. And the, and the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, just as he did when he parted the Red Sea. This is pointing back to when the Lord delivered Israel out of Egypt there with the Egyptian Sea, the Red Sea, how he shook uh, his hand. He sent the wind to divide the river, to uh, the, the sea, to give them that uh, path through. This is a parallel back to that, and a reference back to that. And she'll smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. What's this saying in 15 and 16? He's saying that no matter where you are, God is going to make a highway for folks to be able to easily get to him in Jerusalem. You know the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. One day, all roads will lead to Jerusalem. Let's finish out the Bible study tonight by looking at chapter 12. There's six verses here that are all connected. Notice number four. Lastly, we saw the coming king, or the coming king, the comforting king, the conquering king. Look at number four. Notice the celebrated king. Look at chapter 12. And here now we find Jesus established as the ruler. And look at the praise, the thanksgiving that's offered to King Jesus as he rules. Look here. And in that day... The day that Jesus is in charge, in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee, thou that wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. Now picture this as a song being sung by the nations in Jerusalem. Millions of people singing this right here or saying this to Jesus as he rules and reigns, paying obeisance to him. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Therefore, uh, with joy shall ye draw out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, Praise the Lord. Call upon His name. Declare His doing among the people. Make mention that His name is exalted. Sing unto the Lord, for He hath done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, thou inhabitants of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in the midst of thee. Now, Isaiah's name, this is a neat little nugget. Isaiah's name means... Jehovah is salvation. What will everyone say that day? They'll say, Jehovah is our salvation. 
Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Okay, let's finish with this. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 2. Look back at that verse. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and be not afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. All right, real quick, turn over to Exodus chapter 15 and verse number 2. We're going to finish up with, um, uh, with one more neat little nugget here. Send you home on something interesting, something fascinating. Exodus chapter 15. Quick, quick, quick. Turn over there. Now, this is right after the Israelites cross over the Red Sea. They're gathered there uh, on the bank. The, the Egyptian army has been destroyed. What was it that they sang? Look at verse 2. The Lord is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will prepare him an habitation. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Uh, Isaiah 12.2 and Exodus 15.2 are very much the same verse. We will sing the same song together at the throne of, of, of Jesus in Jerusalem that was sung when they were given deliverance from Egypt. One more time, one more time. Uh, uh, Psalm 118, verse 14. Psalm 118, Verse 14, now, in the day of Ezra the prophet, they were ordaining the second temple that was built. This would be the temple that was standing when Jesus came onto the scene. They were, uh, they were uh, bringing uh, that temple into use. They were ordaining that temple, rededicating that temple. And look at Psalm 118, verse 14. It says there, the Lord is my strength and song and is become my salvation. The very, very first time these words were used was when Israel crossed the Red Sea and were given liberation from Egypt. The second time this song was sung corporately, it was sung at the rededication of the new temple, and the next time this song will be sung will be in the presence of Jesus at the last temple built where King Jesus will rule and reign as the nations with the Jews will gather together and will sing this praise, Jesus is my salvation, Jehovah is my salvation. Listen, I just want to say, as we close Isaiah 11 and 12 here, I don't know what you're going through in life right now. I don't know the struggles that you have. But this I do know. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus is still high and lifted up. And Jesus is still in charge. And one day, one day, Jesus is going to right every wrong. One day, we'll live in perfect peace in a world that's healed with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we were instructed by Jesus the first time he came, he said to us, we are to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Boy, that's something we ought to pray every day. Lord Jesus, even come quickly. Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed tonight. I'm thankful that you were here. I hope you have a better understanding of Isaiah chapter 11 and 12. And I hope you're excited about the return of Christ. I can't wait for uh, this to be in place. It's going to be a great day.